Well, good morning, Whitewater. You guys doing good? All right, we got some fun stuff today. Um, I wanted to start just by uh, just by saying this. Um, we've been in the series called Built, and it's all about how God is building us individually and building His church and multiplying His His people, His community of blessing and love in the world. And it's been so cool to see people engage in this um, spiritual growth campaign. We've had people getting into groups, uh, getting a, a devotional and daily going through uh, their devotions or in, in through the Bible. We've been having people engage on Sundays like I've never seen before. It's been so exciting. And I, I just want to let you know, we've, we're seeing people who have given their lives to Jesus for the first time, stepped into faith. And we're also seeing people who maybe have known God a long time, but they've kind of been in cruise control. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, uh, it's time to grow. And I'm, and we're seeing growth in people who haven't like taken steps of growth in a long time. So I just want to encourage you guys. This has just been awesome. Keep at it. Keep doing what, what the Lord is doing in your life and challenging you to do. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, we, we handed out this prayer card and it has four lines on it for, for, for people that, that God has put in your life and on your heart to be praying for. Uh, especially as we head to, to Easter. Easter's next uh, week, and Easter's one of those times where people are more spiritually open, more receptive than they are in other times in the year. And so as a church, we want to we wanna really um, leverage that to help people find a relationship with God, hear the good news. And so next week, we're gonna, it's gonna be an awesome Sunday. We're gonna be presenting the gospel, the, the reality that Jesus died on the cross and then was raised to new life. And, um, would you, would you fill out the, the, that card, that prayer card? And some of you guys might be like, oh, I already did. What we're asking today is that you'd fill out that card during communion. We're gonna take communion, um, remembering Christ's sacrifice for, for us. And, um, and, at communion, if you wouldn't mind writing those names, even if you already have a card, and putting it in the in the um, plate as it goes by later, because I'm going to be personally praying for those those names. I'm going to be praying for your friends and your family members. You can just put first names. That would be awesome. And uh, our staff is going to be praying for them as well, because we want to see God break into people's lives. Isn't that cool? So uh, that's how you can kind of par- partner with us today and as we go through the season. Um, with that said, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. Father God, thank you for every soul who's here. Lord, we come here today to hear from you, to, to have a, a, a word of truth, a word of challenge, a word of grace into our lives. Lord, would you use um, us, would you use our lives to bring uh, blessing to others and to bring fullness to other people, Lord? Um, and would we walk out of these doors today inspired by your word? And in Jesus' name, amen. So at our church, we, we want to be a church of belonging, but also blessing. We want to be a blessing to the community. We believe that God has blessed us so that we can bless others. And uh, around Easter time, we often have, um, you know, spring carnivals and Easter egg hunts. And we had our first uh, of those for the season uh, yesterday. And we actually have a few pictures, if we could uh, throw them up here. Um, we had tons of eggs, tons of people. This is at Fredrickson Elementary School, the, the actual building, our first rental building as a church. It's where we kind of got our start. We had all these kids. You should have seen them and hurt. Like the kids were just screaming with delight, except for the few that didn't get eggs. Um, no. 
Um, we, it was just so fun. Um, I, I think Nate oh, was one of the guys here. Nate uh, is, is, is uh, in one of the groups that was leading this, and, and his job was to, to be the enforcer, you know, the bouncer, you know, like because kids are waiting at the edge to get their eggs, and, you know, after they've gone and done the bouncy house and the Easter bunny and all that stuff, all of a sudden they are now in hunt mode, and their parents, I was finding, are, like, super strategic. They were, like, sending their kids down. They're like, look for the golden egg. Find the golden egg. I'm like... There is no golden egg that I know. Like, and they're like, find the golden egg. And, and if you get an egg, Phil, if it's heavy, if it's not heavy, throw it away. Go get the heavy ones. You know, they're like strategically and they're trying to get closer and they're like, see that spot? It was so funny to watch this and the kids are getting all serious. And, and some of the kids before it was time and people are slowly coming out. Uh, they're like walking through the park, walking through the areas with the eggs. And there's some kids like sneaking and snaking some eggs. And Nate's like, put that down. He had like, he had that kind of that enforcer look and there's a few kids that are like putting him and backing away and it was, it was pretty awesome. You did a good job, Nate. I was proud of your enforcing skills and, and then when it was time for the kids to go, like it was just screams of delight. Uh, one little girl only got three because she had moved up from the young age and it was her first time with all the older kids and she was just like watching in terror and awe as all these kids are like just raking in the eggs and her dad was like, well, it was a good learning lesson for her on, on survival in, 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 in. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But isn't it interesting that, like, even at a young age, we, like, we can get our eyes set on something. Those kids wanted those eggs. They were gonna find all the lost eggs they could out there. And, as I look at our world and I look at the, you know, people, isn't it true that we all are seeking things that we, we want to add value to our lives, seeking things that we think will give us significance and security? And, and I wonder sometimes, are the things that we seek and put our energy and our time and that we just get like, just totally zeroed in on, focused in on, are, are those things always eternal things? When we look at the scriptures, when I read the scriptures, I learn about this God who, who has a heart to seek and find lost and broken things and to restore. He wants to seek and find. But often God will seek things and seek people more passionately than we will. And sometimes we get more passionate about things that we'll fill our lives with, that we think will give us security, safety, and all the things that will give our life significance and meaning, that never fully match what we hoped. And we've been sinking all this time over here, and I wonder, what would it take for us to have God's heart to go after the things that matter to Him? And today, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk to you guys about the heart of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus, we're going to be looking at what does that, what does a Jesus pattern look like in, in seeking people, seeking the things that matter. And we're going to look at three scriptures. And so if you have your Bible, you can, you can take that out. If you have your notes, you can grab those and, um, and you can follow along behind me on the screen. Um, and we're going to be looking at three, uh, little sections of scripture. And I want you paying attention to the, the, the sinner, to the, the Pharisee or the saint and to Jesus. I want you to look at the, their, their reactions in these stories, okay? So we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, um, starting verse 29, and it says this, Then Levi, also known as Matthew, Matthew slash Levi was a tax collector known as a notorious sinner, a person that Pharisees and religious people and social elites would never have anything to do with, says this about Levi, Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him or for Jesus at his house. 
Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. He had a rabble of people, just like a rowdy bunch of, of his people, like tax, other tax collectors and other notorious sinners that, that religious people would never hang out with. How, how many guys, like when you have family reunions, you hang with your friends, it's like, it's your people and, and no, other people might not hang out with your people, but you love your people. How many of you guys like that? I love it because you guys are that kind of people for me and I love that. Come on here. Are you guys awake? Um, so he's got all these sinners, all these nobodies hanging out with them, and the Pharisees are there too. Verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you hang out with them? That's their first complaint. Jesus starts doing uh, loving, God-centered, awesome things, and they start complaining. Verse 31, Jesus replied, it, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I, I love Jesus. I love his, the ministry of Jesus. I love the pattern of Jesus. And I've been walking with the Lord for enough to say, like, I love Jesus and his presence in my life. And um, this is an incredible moment here, and I, I want us to catch it. That before we get to the Jesus pattern, I got to tell you about two other patterns that are happening in this scene, and they and they replay themselves throughout the book of Luke. And, and and Luke is trying to teach us something about faith, something about Jesus. If we'll pay attention, so if you have your notes, get them out, because um, here's some stuff that I think will be really helpful for you. This helps you have eyes to see what's going on. So. In the, in this story, we see there's two patterns. There's the sin pattern or the sinner's pattern and the religious pattern. The sin story, the sinner story, and the religious story. And here's how it goes. The sinner story is this. The guys like Matthew and gals like, like Matthew, the tax collectors and, and sinners of the day and age, the people who were not a part of the, you know, like the religious elite. You don't see them going to church that often. Um, here's their pattern. Their pattern is this. Sin, shame, hide, repeat. Sin, shame, hide, repeat. It, that, this is the pattern. There'd be, there'd be sin. So if you're, he's at this party, there's these tax collectors. So maybe the, the sin of some of his friends is like tax collectors were hated at the time because they would often steal. They would take more than they should. So they would, they would steal from people. That's their sin. And then there might be shame about that. And when they'd have, have you ever done something wrong and you have that, that burden of shame and guilt in your heart, and you're just like, Ugh, I hate this feeling. Well, the pattern with shame for humans is then we'll go hide from it. We'll hide from the sin and shame. We'll find some way of covering it, making it look like it doesn't exist, that we didn't do that, uh, pretend that we didn't, like in this case, like pretend that they weren't stealing from people, and uh, find other ways of, of hiding that. There could be someone in your life that struggles with particular sin. You can have, I'll make this, this uh, a simple illustration. You can have someone who struggles with uh, addiction, maybe to alcohol. And so the sin for them, they get the, under pressure, they get under stress, and so all of a sudden they give in and they, they make a decision to start drinking, and then that leads to the cycle of, of addiction that they have. So they sin, and then after they participate in that, what, what do they feel? Shame. Shame creeps in. Why did I make that decision? I'm so embarrassed. What kind of person am I? And all these things, like self-condemnation starts coming in and shame um, starts taking over. And then what happens? What do we want to do when we feel that shame? 
We want to hide, so we pretend like it didn't happen. Or we do other things to make up for that shameful sin that we did. And we'll try to do good things and and um, and create a maybe a, a veneer or some kind of um, shield that protects people from seeing what's really going on inside. Maybe people can just see it, but we, we try to hide. It's as old as Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit, they sinned, and then they had shame, and then what did they do? They hid. And, and a lot of us in our lives, when we, we have this pattern in our lives, when we sin, we have shame. And then the hiding, there's so many people that are hiding and a lot of the actions and the words and the, 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 the way families might interact or people might interact is, it, it's hiding. And we're hiding in plain sight often because we're ashamed and there's this sin in our life. And, and that's the pattern. That's the pattern, and it repeats over and over. But here's the religious pattern. So you, here's Matthew and his crew and Jesus hanging out with them, and then the Pharisees see Jesus, like right in the middle, hanging out with them, hanging out with the sinners, and then also hanging out with the religious elite, letting them come, uh, and all the, you know, the perfect Sunday morning, uh, you know, uh, Pharisees who do all the right things, who have all the religious power, and they have all the, the street cred in that, in that day and age. And here's their pattern. The religious pattern is this. Condemn, separate, complain, repeat. You got that? Condemn, separate, complain, and then repeat. So here these Pharisees see Jesus hanging out with these sinners who could infect him with their sin. That's not what religious people are supposed to do. And they see that and what do they do? They condemn it. They condemn. Why is your religious leader, why is your teacher hanging out with these sinners, these worldly people? And then they separate themselves from them. Like, we are not like them. They're less than us. And when you, when someone is condemning, there's a pushing down. There's like, we're superior too because look at them. And one of the, like, you know that religion is starting to happen in a negative sense. When we, when we start having the attitude of separation and condemnation, we try to start making our, ourselves feel superior to other people because, man, look at their life. Look at life. And then we start separating ourselves socially, even like physically. Like, I don't hang out or talk to those people. I told you last week about a family that had a pattern of, of shunning and exiling and, um, and, and, and basically withdrawing from relationship with people. And that's the, that's a religious tendency. And what's the, what's the next step after condemning and separating? Complaining. They just start complaining. In, in this passage and in the other passages we'll look at, the Pharisees, their first thing, they see Jesus doing loving, amazing things, and they complain because they've condemned and separated themselves. And then they repeat over and over. Look at that person's life. Look at that person's history. I don't want to be like that. Jesus, what are you doing? And then they complain about anybody who would go in to help and be near them. That's the pattern. And here's the reality. This pattern, sin, shame, and what's the the third? Sin, shame. What's that? Hide. That pattern starts going in someone's life. And then you have religious people who are in connection with them, and they've got the condemnation, separation, complaining cycle. And here's what happens. When they encounter each other, how does this person make this person feel? Worse. 
And there becomes more and more separation and more and more condemnation. And here's the reality. A lot of times the, what the sin in this person's heart that they're hiding from in the religious camp, it, the, the way they hide is the pattern of condemnation, separation, complaining. That's how they hide. And so they're looking at something that really internally they probably struggle with too. Or something different or maybe worse. And so they start putting these people down. And all of a sudden you see more separation here. And these people feel more separated from God. Because if these people can't accept me. And if these people who supposedly are close to, closer to God than I am. Then how could God receive? How could God accept me? Do you see the pattern that happens? And so while these things are going, these patterns are going, it's the more and more separation, more and more shame, more and more arrogance, more and more pride, more and more superiority. And, 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 and it causes the issue. And then Jesus steps right into the middle of this and, and, and he shows this totally different pattern. You guys want to hear the Jesus pattern? No? Okay. You have to wait just a little bit longer because I want to say why, why were the Pharisees so irritated? Here's a few things in this passage that irritate them. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how faith precedes the miracle. Faith precedes the, the movement of God. We often want to uh, have God move in our life. We want the miracle and then we'll have some faith in him, right? It's much easier to be like, God, show me, do your magic, do your thing, do what I'm asking you to do, and then I'll, I'll have big faith. But, but Jesus teaches us this way that we're, faith is belief, strong belief in God, and it proceeds. In the same way, belonging precedes belief. Belonging precedes belief. Acceptance of others precedes change. And what does that do to the Pharisees? What does that do to the religious who are caught in their pattern of condemnation, separation, complaining? It ticks them off. It ticks them off. No, 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 no. No, it's reverse, Jesus. They have to believe before they can belong. They have to believe because that belief precedes their acceptance. Their change precedes us accepting them and them being acceptable, acceptable to God. And so it irritates them. How, let's be honest for a second. How many here today um, have seen like uh, the signs or have heard us say like you can belong before you believe here at Whitewater? Now, let's be honest. How many of you guys that kind of irritated the first time you saw that or heard that? I had a few honest people in the last There was a few that were like, yeah, it was. A little, or like, I, I don't understand it. Come on, if you, sometimes it's a little irritating. when. You, and here's the reality. Um, even my background, where I came from, was a little bit more religious. And when I was younger, that would have irritated me. That statement, belong before you believe? Who and who do you think you are? You know? And it irritates them. The whole concept of grace, unmerited, undeserved love and acceptance, irritates religious people. Because they don't deserve it. They haven't changed. They haven't done enough. They don't look at their lives. And they're looking at some things that are true often. Not at themselves, but for other people. And it irritates them. Some, and here's the thing. We need to be irritated. But if we're in this religious pattern, we need somebody like Jesus to come in and knock us out of our pattern. Knock us out of our rut. Yeah? Now... Here's the, here's the other thing. Belonging and, exception, and acceptance are actually actions of faith. They're faith that believe that God can change a heart 
through love. And if you give put people in an environment where they can be in a spiritual relationship, that God can do some miraculous things by just allowing them to belong, by receiving and accepting them. Acceptance doesn't equal agreement. Um, here's the hardest thing for the religious. It's like, but look at their lifestyle. That's not even biblical. That doesn't... And, and Jesus said, and, and you're condoning. No, 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 no. Jesus, despite all of the reality of unhealthy living and sin... Jesus still hung out with sinners. How do you, how do you deal with that? Acceptance does not mean agreement. Jesus never condones sin. And he, this is in your notes. This is important. Jesus basically said this. Um, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I came here to help the sick. I came, a surgeon can't do surgery two miles away because he's separate. A surgeon has to be close, has to be there, has to identify the issue, and has to help heal. And Jesus wasn't coming there to condone or ignore sin and problems and, and, and unhealthy, uh, destructive patterns. He was there as a doctor. If Jesus is a surgeon for the sick, then the church is a hospital for the sick and broken. Our church, if we're going to follow the pattern of Jesus, is a hospital. We should expect hypocrites here. We should expect people with addictions. We should expect people with sin. We should expect some religious and we should expect some sinners. And they all might be struggling with that pattern of theirs. But Jesus came to heal both. Jesus came to heal both. Now, what's the Jesus pattern? Let's go to the next section, Luke 19. Uh, a guy named Zacchaeus, he's also a tax collector, he's a, he's a sinner, religious people don't like him, most of the people don't like him because he's probably been taking money from him that he shouldn't, and Jesus is walking through Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus because he's tiny, everybody hates him and they won't let him get to the front of the line to see Jesus, they keep him out because apparently he's a little diminutive guy, maybe he had like the small man's complex and that's why he was, who knows, but he's, he's up in this tree, and Jesus looks up and sees him in the tree. And, and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down from there, because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. I'm going to be with you. I came for you. I mean, he's declaring in front of all these people, religious, non-religious, people with, who are hurting and broken, people who have a perfect life. Jesus is declaring, I came for you, Zacchaeus. I came for the lost and the broken. So he quickly comes down and welcomes Jesus joyfully. In verse 7, it says, all who saw it began to complain. Why? Because that pattern, for honest, why, why, did, why is the Pharisee written in the scripture so much why are pharisees in their story in the bible so we can be like those idiots partly but also because those idiots is pointed at us we can become like the pharisees in a moment and in this moment zacchaeus just like i'm going to your house and everybody's like they start complaining condemnation separation complaining so what happens in this story so they start complaining, like, why, why has he gone to stay with a sinful man? But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Flat out, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. Like, I don't need it. Like, he's found Jesus, something, something has radically changed. A man who lived for wealth is now ready to give his wealth away because he's met the king. And um, he says this, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone... I'll pay back four times as much. Now, he probably had extorted quite a few people. 
That's, that's a big promise. That's a big promise. Something has fundamentally changed. And listen to Jesus. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him because he too is a son of Abraham. He too is a son of God. He is acting as a son of God. And verse 10, circle it, underline this. This is like the mission of Jesus. This is the mission of the church right here in verse 10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. He's the healer. He's the surgeon. He's the one to come and help and heal. He's seeking to save the lost. And here is the Jesus pattern. You might want to take this down on your notes. This is the Jesus pattern. Seek, save, and celebrate. Repeat. Seek, save, celebrate. Repeat. Over and over, he goes to Matthew's house, seeking, saving, and then celebrating in front of the Pharisees, which makes them angry, and they condemn, they separate, and then they complain, and they repeat, and then Jesus explains. He does, Jesus doesn't let them fully off the hook. He always addresses them, but 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 he, he still is loving them at the same time. And I, I love this pattern. Matthew. Seek, save, celebrate. Zacchaeus, seek, save, celebrate. In front of all these people, he celebrates. This man is a son of Abraham. This salvation has come to this house today. I have come to seek and save that that which is lost. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm all about. And the problem is, the problem is, the Pharisees don't see value in the sinner. And the sinner doesn't see value in themselves. And Jesus comes and says, I have been sent here because all of you have tremendous value to the Father. All of you are loved by the Father. I was sent into this broken, bloody mess of a world to seek, to save, and to celebrate. And that irritates because they don't deserve. And these people over here are like, yeah, we don't deserve. And Jesus when as I've pastored, as I've pastored, I've noticed that sometimes people can kind of forget why we exist, why we are here. We are here to follow Jesus. And what was his mission? Seeking saving and celebrating and it's never so sad to me as when i see somebody who's grown up in christ and who is a disciple of jesus and they've had everything given to them as far as faith goes and they've they've been around church and they fall into the pharisee pattern and they forget our mission they forget what really matters to god they forget it could you imagine what I, I've had people come up and ask me this before, like, hey, you know, when we were seeing all these people find Christ and like awesome things are happening and it's just this, the story at Whitewater and being like, yeah, but, but when are you going to take these people deep? What's your plan for discipleship? Could you imagine asking Jesus that, going up to him and be like, hey, Jesus, you know, at Zacchaeus' house or at Matthew's house, all these sinners and people, and like, hey, this is, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's neat that you've got all these people here, and they, hey, you're helping them feel better about themselves because they're really messed up. Um, but when are you going to take them deeper, Jesus? When are you going to, like, disciple them? You know, what's, that, what's your plan to disciple them? And you can just see Jesus looking at them like, are you kidding me? 
The plan is to seek, to save, to celebrate, and repeat over and over and over. Oh, that's great, Jesus. But when are you going to, what's, what's your discipleship plan? You idiot. Seek, save, celebrate. And that might sound harsh, but I mean, that some people hide behind the spirituality and religion of complaining. Like if they can complain, if they're really sharp with, you know, knowing who's in and who's out and what's good and what's bad. If they're like, it's just, they might call it discernment. And sometimes it really is. But sometimes people are hiding behind a, a religion of complaint and negativity. And what they're doing without knowing it is they're putting themselves right in the Pharisee's shoes. They're acting in the pattern of the Pharisee. And if you don't, if you're always complaining about the mission of Jesus, you will miss the mission of Jesus. It's not saying that reading our Bible is bad. It's not saying that prayer isn't important. It's not saying that like growing and, and your mind, your heart, your actions, your hand, all, all that's so important. And all that is so ne- necessary for the mission of God. We're not going to seek, save, and celebrate well if we're not personally growing. But friends, let's not mistake ourselves. It is not about us. It is about reaching the outsider. There, when we go to reach people that Jesus loves, there is a cost. There is a sacrifice. And, and we have to keep the mission, the mission. And the pattern of the Pharisee wants to pull us out of that. And the pattern is to seek, like, the Joseph. I'm, I'm seeing names and people that God has, has saved and transformed at our church. God wants to seek Josie, save Josie, celebrate Josie's salvation. He wants to seek Ben's uh, salvation and save Ben and then celebrate it like over and over, name upon name upon name that will get written in God's book of life so that when it comes to the end of their days, they have a relationship with God. And if we don't get that, we don't value that, we're going to value all these other they're good things, but they're stupid things in comparison to what God really wants us to be doing. Do you, do you get me? Like, that's great. Our cars are great. Our houses are great. Our lives are great. Our jobs are great. Those are great things. But if those are the main things in our life and we're missing all these people that God is bringing to us, bringing to like be sought after and saved and celebrated, like what does it matter? We are exchanging like the gold, the treasure that God has for us for like stuff that's temporary. Our houses, our stuff, it's all going to end up at the bottom of some junk heap someday. Think about it this way. What if, what if, um, at the end of your days, you came to God and you were talking, you know, God's like, I want to, I want to hear the count of your life. So you're, you're going through it and like, that's really amazing. That's really amazing. That's awesome. He says, hey, I kept bringing these people to you, but you kept on doing nothing with them. And you, I, I gave them to you so that you could seek, help, help me save them and then celebrate them. But you did nothing with them. You just, they, luckily I had some other people ready if you, if you weren't ready and they did something with it and they helped them find you this book. But I brought person after person, friend, coworker, all these people to your life. What, what, why didn't you do anything with them? And I, I'm, I'm afraid that some of us will, will, will have to look at the Lord and just say, well, there were some really mean people that were judging me. 
And they condemned me. They were like, what? You need to be doing this, this, and the, and, and I felt the pressure. And, and they said, like, it's not very deep. And, and, and they kind of were gonna, I felt like I wasn't gonna be friends with them. I wasn't gonna be on the inside of the, of the group if, if I didn't join in. And, and so, like, I was afraid of their condemnation. I was afraid of their separation. And they were complaining all the time. They were telling me how bad it was, what I was, you know, and they were telling me, I need to be doing these things, not these things. And I think God would look at that person and just be like, what? Why are you more afraid of a little human being who has limited capacity to think, imagine, understand my heart, and they're locked in this religious pattern? Why would you be afraid of their condemnation more than mine? Why would you be more worried about pleasing the religious person who's trapped in a futile pattern? Why would you be afraid of pleasing that person more than, you're, than you want to please me? Friends, we are all going to have to give account. God is passionate. He loves lost people. People matter to God, so they should matter to us. Are, are there people in your lives that God has brought and he is seeking to save them and celebrate it? Uh, I, I don't have time to read this, but the last story I was going to tell you is, is um, Luke 15. Jesus with people again and the Pharisees complain again. And Jesus says, let, well, let, me, let me tell you a story. Which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one wandered away, wouldn't chase after that sheep, find it, put it on your shoulders, and bring it back to the other 99? If you had a hundred sheep, one escape, you find it, you bring it back to the other 99. And, and, and this is the, I, I love this, the, the, the end of this verse. It, it, it says this powerful thing. It says, I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance, over people who think they're righteous, who think they have it all together. God is looking for lost people, broken, hurting. He is actively seeking them. And in this story, I'm just going to give you these three so that the OCD note takers won't feel gypped. You are out there, and I love you. The first thing we learn about seeking how to seek is this. Leave the many, go after the lost one. Leaving the many doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the many. God, it, it says that he's, if you're a shepherd, you have a hundred, you care about them. Shepherds care about them. But the one also matters. It also matters. It means we have to leave uh, the, the comfort of our tribe and our people. and we have, to, we have to go after the one that maybe other people don't care about as much. We have to, we have to leave the many to go after the lost one. Um. And going after the lost one takes determination. It takes like a gritty, determined love. Like, I'm going to love that person despite all the ways they're hiding, all the ways they're lashing out. I'm going to love them. All the ways they disagree with me or put me down. What I'm going to love them. Number two, save. save. How do we save? We're, it's really God who does the saving. But in this story of the, of the 99 uh, versus the 1, it's, it, it says in verse 5, when he has found it, they joyfully, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Find the one, bring them home. Find the one, bring them home. Like we can be passionate about the one, we can be passionate about lost sheep, but if we don't actually go find them, no one's going to get brought in. We have to find them. 
We have to seek them out. We have to build relationship with them. We have to like care about them and for them to know that we care. And I love this. Bring them home. He joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. I love the image of the shepherd going down like, like a wounded lamb or a lamb who won't go the right way. It just keeps fighting, keeps fighting. And he just puts that thing on his shoulder and walks it all the way home. He brings it to the other 99. He brings it where it belongs. It reminds me of Forrest Gump when, when Gump goes after Captain Dan in the jungle. And does Captain Dan want to be saved? He's injured. He does not want to be saved. He's fighting Forrest the whole way. Forrest don't care. He just puts him on his shoulders and runs him the heck out of the jungle. Saves that man. Then he goes back in. He finds an unconscious guy. He, He's not complaining. He just throws him on and takes him, saves his life. Then there's someone who wants to be saved. Well, he'll take him, but it doesn't matter. Like there's this aspect of, of going after and, and seeking and saving where we were willing to take them on. Like Jesus put us on his shoulders on the cross, dying for our sins. Do you follow? Does your heart get bigger in your chest when you hear about God's love for the lost? He puts it on his shoulders. And there's a difference between inviting and bringing. Invitation is so important. But here's the reality. Many people can be invited to come to a place like this. Easter's coming, guys. Like, there's people who want to, they want community. They want forgiveness. They just don't know how. And we have that. We have a Savior who can give them purpose to their life. It will transform them. But sometimes when they're invited, there can be this fear like, what do I wear? Am I fit in? Ah, I don't know if I should. And, and there's a difference between inviting. Inviting is important. But bringing adds the element of like, I'm going to get you there. Or like, how can I help you get there? My wife uh, invited a, uh, an old neighbor of ours this week. And, 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 she, and as she was inviting, she's like, hey, what service are you going to go to? Let me know what service you're going to go to. Okay, I'll sit with you. And if you need a ride, we'll give, we'll give you a ride. Just let us know. And, and she, was, she was bringing that person. Invitation is important, but bringing is so effective in helping people feel wanted and loved. Last one is this, celebrate. Joy follows repentance. The Pharisees who were in the Pharisee pattern wanted, uh, if, if someone was going to repent, they wanted, they wanted penitence or like they needed to like grovel and feel bad and you, you know, you really owe us. And, and so this, almost like this, like shame and guilt should follow repentance. Jesus says, when the sinner, broken, lost, messed up, when they repent, when they turn their life to God and they begin to change and like something in them changes, celebrate it. Have joy. Like shout it out. Let people know this is amazing. And in Jesus' pattern, it's always seek, save, and celebrate. And friends, we are going into the next two weeks of a seeking and saving time of our church. We're going to have Easter, and then the week after, we're having baptisms. We're going to have gospel presentation. I believe God is going to, is going to bring people to himself. And then the third week, we're going to celebrate. And we're trying to get better as a church at celebrating what God is doing in yours and mine and other people's lives. So friends, who in your life needs to be brought to Jesus? What would stand in the way of you bringing caring, going to, finding, and bringing them to the ultimate acceptance of Christ on the cross. Let's do it together. Seek, save, and then we will celebrate. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful for you. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. 
I pray that if there's anybody in here today that's caught in a pattern and, 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 they've, and they've, they've mistaken spirituality for complaining and condemning and separating, Lord, would you, would you move them into the Jesus pattern? Would they repent? Would they come back to the middle and be with you, Jesus? And if there's someone caught in the pattern of sin and shame and hiding, Lord, would you bring them into your love, into your grace today, Lord? And may we join the mission of seeking, saving, and celebrating the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.